Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, and we always like to start off with the Angelus. Do you have an intention for our Angelus today, Bishop? You know, I would like to pray for the the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend, because tomorrow is the Feast of St. Matthew, and Matthew is the secondary patron saint of our diocese. The Immaculate Conception is, is the principal patron, Mary under the title of her Immaculate Conception. But our secondary patron, some people don't realize, is St. Matthew. That's why we have St. Matthew Cathedral in South Bend. Huh. Okay, great. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary. And she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Hail Mary, full full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Matthew, the Apostle and Evangelist. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this episode, Bishop Kevin Rhodes, Bishop of Fort Wayne South Bend, talks about the secondary patron of the diocese, St. Matthew, and also another famous saint whose feast day is approaching, St. Padre Pio. Then it's on to attending weddings and the situations Catholics should carefully consider. Afterwards, it's on to listener-submitted questions. If you would like to submit a question for Bishop to answer on a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop. And you mentioned that tomorrow is the Feast of St. Matthew and that he is a secondary patron for the diocese. That's right. I, I had no idea. Kyle. Do we have a tertiary? No, we only have the two. (laughs) (laughs) But you knew we had St. Matthew Cathedral, right? I did. Is that why? It's our co-cathedral. Oh, Immaculate Conception, yeah, because this was the Diocese of Fort Wayne when it was founded in 1857. It only became the Diocese of Fort Wayne-South Bend. It was either 1957 or 1960. And at that point, the Church of St. Matthew became the co-cathedral. Okay, so is that why that's the secondary patron, because there was the cathedral, or did the cathedral get named St. Matthew's because St. Matthew was a patron of the diocese? I think, you know, that's, why do you always ask me these difficult questions? Uh, I think, although I can't say this with certainty, I think he became the secondary patron of the diocese because that 
church of St. Matthew was chosen okay. to be the co-cathedral. Interesting. Well, we don't know a whole lot about St. Matthew. Can you tell us what we do know? Well, he appears in the lists in the Gospels of the Twelve Apostles, so mm-hmm. we know he was one of the Twelve. But we also know from the Gospel of Matthew that he was a tax collector. Interestingly, if you read the Gospels of Mark and Luke, his name is Levi, but it's the same person, Levi the tax collector. So you can read each of the accounts of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you learn about Jesus calling this tax collector to follow him and to be a disciple, to be an apostle. And it was... uh, interesting i think how we read in the gospel that he got up immediately and Hmm. followed jesus i think that's pretty amazing that this was immediate he didn't wait to think about it he uh that was a pretty quick conversion and so do we assume that his name was levi and then jesus changed his name to matthew no oh just different names (laughs) 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 but you know what the name matthew means i do not gift of god oh gift of god yeah it's a beautiful name so any matthews out there yeah it's good to know the meaning of your name yeah very much so beautiful name and it's kind of an interesting thing with saints when we have um, maybe something that they were known for in a negative sense like tax collecting becomes their patronage that he's the patron of accountants and bookkeepers and uh, bankers things like that yeah yeah exactly and i think another significant thing is a tax collector was really a public sinner i mean not only was he cooperating with the unjust taxation by the occupying romans but then tax collectors were well known for cheating Mm-hmm. that they would not only be cooperating with this unjust government, they were also greedy themselves. I think that's why oftentimes in the Gospels, you'll see that pair, that linking of tax collectors and sinners, tax collectors and sinners. Sometimes you see tax collectors and prostitutes. Right. You know, remember the story of Zacchaeus. Mm-hmm. Zacchaeus was a, the chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was rich because he cheated people, and he also converted, as you know. But I think what this is important for all of us is to realize that Jesus does not exclude anyone from his friendship, Mm -hmm. that he calls tax collectors and sinners, he eats with them. And that's why, you know, it was very upsetting to the Pharisees and the scribes that he did that. Yeah, it almost seemed like he preferred to eat with those that were known sinners than those that were known religious people. Right. Remember, he he said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Mm -hmm. You know, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. So we have many examples in the Gospels. Remember the example in the temple where you had the Pharisee and the publican. The publican, that's another word for a tax collector, by the way, a publican. And we don't even know the name, but remember the tax collector was so humble when he prayed. Mm-hmm. You know, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
he's an example that Jesus gives us of humble prayer. And how was the Pharisee? He was boasting. He didn't even feel he needed God's God. You know, he was boasting of his own moral perfection. The publican, the tax collector, was beating his breast and, and was so humble he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. So there's so much in the Gospels that teach us how the exalted will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted. And I think Matthew's an example of that. He humbly got up from his place to follow Jesus. He basically repented like Zacchaeus and so many others, and they became great disciples of the Lord. I think it's easy to read the Gospels and think of the Pharisees and the scribes as these kind of evil people and not think of them as people like ourselves oh. and not see ourselves in those positions. Sometimes we like to think of ourselves as the, the repentant sinner, but sometimes we need to realize who we actually are in that story. We have to be really careful not to, not to be like the Pharisees and scribes, to you know, be pointing to the faults and sins of others and not recognizing the plank in our own eye. Right. Um, because we're all sinners. We all need redemption. We all need to beat our breasts and say, as we do it, and that's why I think it's great at the beginning of every Mass we have the penitential rite because we begin by saying, Lord, have mercy. Mm -hmm. You know, we confess to Almighty God that we are sinners. And I like that in the Confidior, through my fault. We say it three times, not just once. Right. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. That's the beginning of prayer. We recognize humbly our need for God's grace and mercy, every single one of us. Yeah. Another saint that we'll celebrate on Saturday is a fairly recent saint, Padre Pio. And his feast is Saturday the 23rd. Can you tell us a little bit about Padre Pio? He was a really popular saint in Italy, but he's popular all over the world, including in our country. He was a Capuchin Franciscan, so he followed in the footsteps of St. Francis. He was known for his priestly ministry. He cared especially for the sick. In San Giovanni Rotondo in um, southern Italy, he started that really a hospital, a place to care for those who didn't have any uh, medical care. But he was just a devoted Franciscan priest, and he became famous as a confessor. Mm -hmm. He was known to, um, kind of like St. John Vianney, he would spend many hours in the confessional and would also have the gift of knowing the sins of people before they even confess them. Uh -huh. That's kind of scary. I don't isn't know if it? I'd want that or not. It's kind of nice that you might not have to say them because he can say it for you. But uh, exactly. But then he he loved the Eucharist. He was very devoted to the Mass, the Blessed Sacrament, and of course he's very famous because, like Saint Francis, he received the stigmata, the wounds of Jesus in his hands, in his side, in his feet, and people would see his hands bleeding when he would celebrate mass they'd be wrapped up in all kinds of thick bandages mm -hmm. his life was so conformed to that of christ that he also received the wounds of christ so padre pio is a great intercessor there are all a lot of miracles even during his lifetime that people reported it's reported that when pope john paul was a priest and he went to rome as a graduate student he went down 
to see, to meet Padre Pio because Padre Pio was famous, and he went down and went to confession to him and spoke with him, and it said that, and this he was just this Polish priest, he wasn't even a bishop yet, and it's reported that Padre Pio said to him that he would become a pope. Yeah, I mean, amazing gift of prophecy. I don't know. I've heard that story. I How heard true that also. It is, I'm yeah. not sure, but that's what I heard. And then he would levitate and bilocate and all these amazing uh, physical manifestations of miraculous things that, I mean, you can't explain this any other way. I mean, if people saw it. Yeah. I've prayed for that gift of bilocation between (laughs) Fort Wayne and South Bend, and it's never been answered, Kyle. (laughs) Why do you think that is, that some people get these miraculous experiences and other people have to depend on faith god distributes his gifts and miracles as he wills i i don't think there's any way we can explain one of my favorite quotes from saint padre pio is pray hope and don't worry isn't that a great motto so simple yep pray hope and don't worry yeah do you worry a lot no no Sometimes, but not a lot. Not a lot. No. I mean, I, I kind of try to leave everything in the Lord's hands. Yeah. I always remember St. John the 23rd. You know, he had a, the weight of the whole ch- universal church on his shoulders and would work hard. But at the end of the day, he said, Lord, it's your church, not mine. I'm going to sleep. Yeah. I'm going to bed. Yeah. I think that's a great thing. Yeah. I try to have that attitude, too. And I don't have trouble falling asleep. Because it is the Lord's church. I'm just his servant. And I think that's good for all of us to think about when we get filled with anxiety or, or stress. Let's think of the bigger things because we can get stressed out by little things. Or No, everything's in God's hands. Everything is in his hands. Can I Our do that lives. with my family? Just say, this is your family, God. You take care of it. You can, but don't shirk your own responsibilities while doing so. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'm going to bed. But the, the, the kids wake me up in the middle of the night, so <laughs> maybe the Pope got a good night's sleep. <laughs> All right, whenever we come back, we'll talk about a, a difficult issue, that of attending weddings, uh, especially non-Catholic weddings. What is a Catholic to do? Talk about that here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop and want to talk a little bit about weddings. There's still kind of wedding season continues a little bit here. And the issue that we'll probably likely face one day if we haven't already is whether we attend particular weddings or not. Uh, first of all, what makes a marriage valid or non-valid? Various things. What makes marriage is consent. So the consent of the couple has, of, of the husband and the wife, the bride and the groom, needs to be true. Okay? Um, they have to have the capacity to, to marry, the capacity to enter into this lifelong partnership of life and love. There are various impediments to a valid marriage, like impotence. For a Catholic to marry validly, he or she must follow the canonical form of marriage. In other words, they need to be married in the church okay, or have a dispensation to marry elsewhere. 
that's not according to the canonical form. I mean, that's just summarizing some of the principal mm-hmm. uh, aspects. You know, one has to enter the covenant of marriage freely, mm-hmm. not without force or fear. So all of these things, you know, in, in marriage preparation, all of these things are, are looked at. Obviously, a priest cannot marry a couple or officiate at a marriage that he would find out would be invalid, mm-hmm. that has an impediment to marriage. Uh, that's why marriage uh, preparation is extremely important. So a non-Catholic doesn't have to follow the the canonical form of marriage, but a Catholic does. But a non-Catholic needs to have those other aspects for it to be a valid marriage, like I just mentioned, has to have the ability to consent, etc. Okay. So in the case with baptism, we would recognize baptisms that happen in other Christian churches, yes. provided that they use the correct formula. And if I understand you correctly, you're saying non-Catholics, we would recognize their marriage outside of the Catholic Church, provided it uses the correct formula, has the right ingredients, uh, but Catholics would have to be married within the Catholic Church unless they get a dispensation? Uh, That's correct. But when you talk about following canonical form for two baptized non-Catholics, there really is no canonical form. They would follow. They would say vows according to their own denominations, but we would recognize that. Okay. Now, I think you have to understand too, when you talk about baptism, we also recognize as valid marriages between non-baptized people. Mm-hmm. The only issue is uh, if a person is not baptized, it's not a sacrament, the sacrament of marriage. It's just the natural institution of marriage. Even if a Catholic marries an unbaptized person, which one would need to be to have a dispensation mm-hmm. in order to marry a non-baptized person validly, that's not a sacrament because to be a sacrament it has to be two baptized people. And can you explain what the difference then would be between a sacramental marriage and a, what did you call it, natural? A natural marriage. marriage. That's basically it. Yeah. Because a sacramental marriage, you have the guarantee of Christ's grace. Uh-huh. Yeah. Would it still have the, the lifelong commitment? Yes. If it's not sacramental? Yes. Okay. But there are situations where the Pope could dissolve a non-sacramental marriage. And that gets pretty complicated. Okay. Yeah. And then what about a non-Catholic couple, whether they're both non-Catholic or one maybe non-Catholic, uh, and they convert to Catholicism, is there something that they should do to their marriage to make it sacramental? If one was unbaptized, when they get baptized, the marriage automatically becomes oh. sacramental. So you don't even have to go through a, the ceremony again. Okay. What about every once in a while I hear about people – that have a extra ceremony is that just a just an extra blessing that they get on their marriage or well no they would have a well sometimes they need a convalidation so for example if you had a catholic who married a protestant outside the church Mm -hmm. without a dispensation that's not valid so if they then decide later, a couple years later, whatever, that 
oh, we need to have our marriage validated in the church. Sometimes they'll say our marriage blessed in the church. Then, yeah, they, they would have to do exchange consent. They have to make their vows in the okay. presence of a priest or deacon and two witnesses. And that would be the what we call a convalidation. Gotcha. The moral I'm taking from this is if you have any questions, <laughs> Sorry. You, should, you should talk to a priest yeah. to see if everything is valid and, and up to yeah. code with your marriage. It's kind of hard to do this on a radio program. It's almost like I'd have to give a class. But I, I think you're, the question from the listener was a little different, though, right? It wasn't the question from the listener this about... This was me. I'm the listener here. Oh, I, these, okay. are, these are my questions. <laughs> <laughs> I thought someone was asking about attending weddings well i'd like yeah. to get into that too yeah oh, because, i'm sorry uh, is it okay to attend a non-catholic wedding is there certain uh, circumstances that would um you maybe shouldn't be supporting with your attendance that's a very common question and it's also a very difficult question to to uh to deal with first of all to attend a marriage a wedding between two non-catholics there's no problem doing that okay? because we presume that's a valid marriage. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the non-Catholics don't have any duty to be married in the Catholic Church. Right. I think maybe a good, better way to ask the question is, can a Catholic attend an invalid marriage? Which would be a Catholic getting married outside the church without the dispensation. Correct. Okay. Or a same-sex marriage. Okay. That's not really a marriage, but it's called that. But I think that's where it's it's a matter of discernment because we don't have any canon law that forbids a Catholic to attend a non-valid wedding. So does that mean one can attend one? Not necessarily. It may not be prudent. Mm -hmm. It may cause scandal. So one has to carefully consider the situation, and one has to make a decision in conscience. I would say there's two main things to consider about attending an invalid wedding, invalid marriage. Now, there are some Catholics who say, I'll never attend a marriage that I know is invalid. And the reason that they may hold that position is because they feel that it's just going to be scandalous. That it kind of is by one's presence there, by attending, it's kind of sanctioning or saying it's okay, mm -hmm. even though it's objectively a sinful situation. So that would be one way where someone is decides I can't go because it's it's uh, I have to decline because it's not a true marriage on the other hand there are people who will attend a a wedding that they know is invalid because of their not wanting to to harm the relationship with the couple or one of the people, especially if it's a family member. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, okay, I want to, I, I, I don't uh, really agree with this wedding, but if I don't go, I'm going to cause division in my family. Mm. I'm going to cause, it's going to rupture our relationship. It's going to do more harm and offense if I don't go. Let's say a parent not going to a child's wedding. Right. Or a brother not going to a sister's wedding, or a sister not going to a brother's wedding. 
and I know good Catholics who come to either decision. Okay. There's no official I know, teaching. There's no official okay. teaching. I know good Catholics who, I, you know, for example, a parent who is so sad and brokenhearted that their child is marrying outside the church, but still goes because they feel they'll be alienated forever from their child if mm -hmm. they don't go. Now, I think in that situation, it's important that the parent be clear that they don't agree right. with the, the child's decision to marry. But then there are those, as I said, who who just um, won't go to such a wedding because they feel it's giving kind of implicit approval mm -hmm. of of a sinful situation. Now, the other thing, uh, what about a same-sex marriage? I think it seems more clear-cut to me that one should not attend because the so-called same-sex marriage doesn't even have the appearance of a true marriage. Hmm. And when you talk about a marriage, an invalid marriage between a man and a woman, sometimes that could be remedied later. In other words, an invalid marriage has the potential to be eventually recognized by the church if they, you know, if, for example, there was an impediment and that impediment becomes overcome. Mm -hmm. Maybe the reason they marry outside the church is because one had a prior marriage and therefore because of the divorce and remarriage, they're not free to marry in the Catholic church. So they marry outside the church, but maybe later they get an annulment. Mm -hmm. Then it can be validated. But when you talk about a homosexual marriage, there's no potential to ever be recognized by the church because it really lacks something that's essential to marriage. And that is the union between a man and a woman for the purposes of unity and procreation. So I can't think of a compelling argument for a Catholic to attend a same-sex wedding. I think it does publicly lend support to the very idea of same-sex marriage. But there may be situations where a parent might go even though they don't recognize it. Are they right or wrong? I don't want to judge them. I think it'd be really, really painful. But I don't think generally one should do that. Okay. Any advice on how to tell the person that you wouldn't be attending or if you are attending that how to express your disapproval in a, in a loving way? Oh, it's important, I think. If one decides that they're going to decline an invitation to a non-valid family wedding, and they still, I mean, they should still want to maintain a good relationship with the people, I think you have to, should discuss the reasons for declining and, and say, you know, I still love you. Express that in one's words and one's actions, and hopefully they'll see that your love is sincere. And they'll accept that love. I, I think there are some who do, but then there are some who will get so angry that they won't accept mm -hmm. that. You know, that's part of the suffering that's involved in these situations. All right. Well, I feel like there's a lot more that we could talk about within this topic, but we have questions that are submitted by listeners. So we'll take a break. And when we come back, we will answer some of those questions. You can submit yours by going to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop or call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. 
So we'll answer your questions here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we've got questions that have been submitted by listeners. Our first question says, what roles do deacons play in the church? Well, deacons are part of the sacrament of holy orders. They're the lowest grade of the three grades of holy orders. We know the first highest grade is bishop, second be priest, third grade is deacons. Deacons have a threefold ministry, the ministry of the word, the ministry at the liturgy, and the ministry of charity. They can preach at the liturgy, that's the ministry of the word. They can preach and teach God's word. They minister at the altar, they assist the priest in the, at the celebration of the Eucharist, they can baptize, they can officiate at weddings, they can officiate at funerals outside of mass, at wake services, committal services, so they have a liturgical role. Mm-hmm. And then their ministry of charity. Deacons were originally, if you remember the story in the Acts of the Apostles, where the seven men, including St. Stephen, were chosen because the apostles needed help in taking care of the neglected widows at table. So they were selected to serve so that the apostles would have more time for their ministry of preaching, etc. So the ministry of charity is essential. A deacon should really be, is really kind of an icon, a representation of Christ the servant. The word deacon, diakonos in Greek, means servant, one who serves. So I always remember that since I was ordained a deacon, a a priest or a bishop never stops being a deacon because that's an indelible mark on the soul. It's a permanent configuration to Christ the servant. So I really am grateful for the ministry of deacons in our diocese and in the church. I see them doing many good works, their witness of servanthood. I also think about the wives of our deacons, and they're so devoted and helpful to the ministries of their husbands. And it really brings a lot of grace, I think, to a marriage and to family as well. It's my understanding that the wives go through the classes with the husbands that are becoming deacons. It's not required. They are encouraged to, and I think most do, because, and they really enjoy it. But if they have young children or something, they may not be able to. Okay. And just to clarify for somebody listening, we have the transitional diaconate is our seminarians are usually, it seems to me, about a year before their ordination to the priesthood, they're ordained to the diaconate, and that we call it transitional diaconate, but... Like you said, they remain a deacon as a priest, yeah. uh, and then the permanent diaconate, diaconate. diaconate would be for usually men married who don't men. Go on. Usually, you could be a celibate permanent deacon too, okay. but one who's ordained a deacon cannot marry after ordination to the diaconate. That's important to remember. Mm-hmm. So, also, so therefore, if a deacon's wife dies, he is not allowed to remarry. All right. Someone asked the question, I am concerned about the Girl Scouts presence in our diocese since there is some controversy regarding their agenda. What are your thoughts on the Girl Scouts? Well, I was the chair of the USCCB committee on laity, marriage, family, life, and youth when we examined the whole question of our relationship with the Girl Scouts. First of all, Girl Scouts USA, the national organization, mm-hmm. is a secular organization. It's had a long cooperative relationship with the Catholic Church in the United States. We have a lot of local councils, uh, Catholic 
sponsored by Catholic parishes. But in recent years, there have been some significant questions that have been raised regarding the Girl Scouts and about Catholic participation in Girl Scouting. And that's what we examined as a committee. When was this that you did it? This would have been probably four years ago, maybe five years ago. I'm trying to remember. But it was a lot of work There were to look at these questions. And then at the end of it, we provided information and guidance to dioceses regarding the relationship with the Girl Scouts. Now, let's, I think it's important to understand that Girl Scouts USA is really a federation. Uh, it's a national organization that grants charters to local councils and gives some direction to the Girl Scouts movement. But every local council operates as an individual 501c3 nonprofit corporation. Mm-hmm and therefore has a certain latitude, certain freedom regarding the programming at the local level. So individual troops and their leaders and the parents and volunteers have have an important role. What has been somewhat problematic is some of the materials that um, were revised by Girl Scouts USA. They were revised in, in different ways and to, to emphasize things like leadership development, etc. But then on the local level, there's also been programming materials. And some local councils have, for example, relationship, not, not, not Catholic ones, but some local Girl Scouts councils have relationships, for example, with Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. We would never allow that. Now, Girl Scouts USA, the national office, says they don't take a position when it comes to these topics of human sexuality or contraception or abortion. So officially, they have a neutral position. But that doesn't prohibit individual councils or troops from taking a position. Okay. So obviously, our Catholic councils take a pro-life position. Mm -hmm. We follow Catholic teaching on sexuality. It's very important that we avoid any initiatives or any programming that is not in accord with Catholic teaching. So our committee, Bishop's Committee, really recommended that local Catholic troops and councils have a memorandum of understanding with the parish or the diocese so that um, the um, church teaching is followed. Girl Scouts USA say they have no official relationship with Planned Parenthood, but there are local Girl Scouts groups that do Mm -hmm. have relationships with Planned Parenthood. We find that of very serious concern, but we're able to make sure that our Catholic councils don't. But I think Catholic parents have to be very careful if their daughters are going to be in a non-Catholic troop, they should really look at what are the materials? What's their relationship with groups like Planned Parenthood? The other real problematic area that we studied was the International Association of Scouting Organizations for Girls. Hmm. That's called WAGS, and that stands for World Association of Girl Scout Girl Guides and Girl Scouts. And WAGS partners with all kinds of other organizations, and one of its members is Girl Scouts USA. Now, WAGS has, promotes and advocates for the education of girls 
in the area of so-called sexual and reproductive health hmm. rights. Well, that's obviously code language often for things that like abortion, contraception, etc. Mm-hmm. Even though WAGs say they don't have an official position on abortion, the fact that they use that term, sexual and reproductive health and rights, it often includes problematic positions and agenda that are at odds with with the church, with our understanding of the or our respect for the gift of human life and the dignity of human sexuality. So we do have a major problem with WAGs, and we've communicated that to Girl Scouts USA because Girl Scouts USA is an active and supportive member of WAGs. So it gets pretty complicated. We discourage, for example, participation by our troops in WAGs events or WAGs fundraising, etc. We we don't want our girls wearing the WAGs pin, for Mm. example, that they have. So what guidance do we give? I say you just have to be really careful and vigilant. The parish needs to be very vigilant or the school or who's ever sponsoring a troop. Parents need to be very vigilant. That we want I I uh, ask that when we have Girl Scout troops in parishes that they be that there be a close connection with the youth ministry and the religious education program of the mm-hmm. parish with things like chastity formation, etc. But I think this memorandum of understanding with the local council is really a helpful way to to make sure that every Catholic troop is free from any activities or programs that are contrary to Catholic teaching. Parents need to be very vigilant. I also support other scouting arrangements, by the way, mm-hmm. um, where if one wants to be especially careful, for example, we have some parishes that have American Heritage Girls, sure. which doesn't present these problematic areas where you have to be so vigilant all the time. Is there any concern with where the money goes from selling the cookies, or is that pretty safe that it stays in the local troop or that the national troop is not supporting uh, things against Catholic teaching? From what I understand from our questioning, Girl Scouts USA on this was that it does remain within the councils and the troops. We did have a problem, though, with the fact that Girl Scouts USA contributes membership dues quite a bit, like over a million dollars, I think, to WAGs. Hmm. Um, the dues that WAGs receives, they're unrestricted. And since Girl Scouts USA is a member, I'm not quite sure where they get the money it might be from their restricted monies or whatever that they pay those dues out of but they've assured us that it's not from uh, the sale of of girl scout cookies okay all right on maybe a a lighter note uh, what is the best movie you have ever seen and what is the worst (laughs) oh my goodness i I, that's hard i don't get to many movies i i love the lord of the rings that comes to mind Uh Uh, the whole trilogy recent, yeah, the, yeah the whole trilogy I love that a recent movie that I really really liked was Hacksaw Ridge oh yeah that was really moving I re- that was the best movie uh, you know recent movie that I've seen there's a lot of violence in it but the message is is really powerful spiritually the passion of the Christ I mm-hmm. mean that was so powerful I'm trying to think the worst movie I ever saw <laughs> oh gosh I don't remember I'd have to, I mean, I've seen some lousy movies. I don't get to the movies very often uh-huh. anymore. Yeah, I'd have to think about that more. Fair enough. Well, 
When we come back, we'll take more questions from you. You can submit them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop or call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we'll be back with more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here asking questions that you've submitted to our bishop. And one of our listeners asked the following question. I recently saw a debate on Facebook regarding whether or not it was okay for Catholic churches to use projectors instead of books for song lyrics or the hymnals. What are your thoughts? Well, I haven't really given this much thought. It's I, it's pretty rare. I, I haven't come across that, I don't think, in our diocese. I guess just an initial thought, because I don't know that the church has any guidelines on this, is I would prefer not. And the reason is I think it would detract from the liturgy. I think our eyes should really be on the action of the at the altar mm-hmm. and not be I mean I realize when you're looking in a book yeah. you're you're actually you know but if it's right in front of you on a projected I think that could be distracting mm-hmm. it's just a personal opinion okay another person asked do you have a favorite artwork or statues that you own in my bedroom I have a uh, painting of the just the face of Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's the first thing I look at when I get up in the morning. And it's just such a tender face of Our Blessed Mother. And I think that probably is um, my favorite artwork in my house. Also, in my chapel, I often look at the crucifix. I have a large hand-carved wooden crucifix from my cousins, my first cousins. They went together and bought this for me when I was ordained a bishop. I love to just look, gaze on that crucifix I also have in my living room a painting of Jesus calming the storm, hmm. and I really love that painting. Jesus is real strong standing up in the boat, and the storm is, and it's just great because, uh, especially if I've had a stormy day, yeah, I can go and just say a prayer in front of that painting and feel the Lord's calm. Those are just a few things, yeah. Do you get a lot of gifts as bishop from oh, people my goodness, in the diocese? I do. I have. I have so many things. I have no more spaces on walls to hang <laughs> pictures. I have the other thing is baseball caps, t-shirts, sweatshirts from all of our schools. I bet yeah. I have a couple hundred. <laughs> and I do give them away too because yeah. I just can't, you know. But people are so generous to me. Yeah. But I really it's hard if it's something more. I have I've the Archbishop Knoll Center has things hanging all over uh-huh. that were given to me because I don't have any more wall space. Yeah. <laughs> Most of it's religious art, religious yeah. things, yeah. Yeah. Do you have like shelves full of little I do. Chapkis? I do. I have a lot of those too. I'm constantly kind of going through things. I give things to St. Vincent de Paul Society too. Sure. Yeah. All right. Here's another question. Do you have any favorite travel destination? And is there any place you haven't been to yet that you would like to visit? Oh, my favorite place is, is uh, Southern Europe. Because I studied in Rome... I love Italy, and I love Spain, where I served as a deacon, and I love Greece, where my relatives are. So I love Southern Europe. I love the climate, the food, uh-huh. the culture, the lifestyle, the Mediterranean Sea. I love it. Also, the Holy Land, I would have to say. You know, that's on the Mediterranean, too. I mean, just going to the Holy Land is, is just a great, great experience. I feel so blessed to have had those opportunities any place you haven't been to? 
Oh, yeah, there are a lot of places. You know, I've been wanting to go to Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been invited many times by priests and bishops in Africa. And um, the plan right now is that I'll be going to Ethiopia in March as part of Catholic Relief Services as a board member. Mm-hmm. We have to, every year, we are to go and visit one of the project sites of CRS overseas. So first year I was on the board, I went to Haiti last year to um, to Gaza and West Bank. Mm-hmm. So I said, this year, I'm going to try to go to Africa. And I thought, Ethiopia, we have a lot of CRS projects in Ethiopia. So I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to that trip. Do we have any priests here in the diocese from Ethiopia? No, no. I think Ethiopia is probably more Orthodox okay. than Catholic. All right. Well, thank you once again. This has been a great chance to get to know you a little better and get some of your wisdom. And could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. Thanks, Kyle. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Join us every Wednesday at noon for Truth in Charity with Bishop Rhodes. If you would like to ask Bishop Rhodes a question for him to answer on a future show, go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Thanks to Notre Dame Federal Credit Union for underwriting this program.